Bob's got a haircut, too. Where's that? Okay. What's that mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. are important. Daniel, would you mind handing me that microphone? Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you today. Uh, it's so great to be here with you. Uh, just talking with some friends earlier and remarking about the fact that Christmas is here in less than two weeks. Are you ready? Are you? Is your shopping all done? Really? Yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, if you're still looking for a gift for me, uh, let me know and. Uh, I'll text you the deets and stuff. So. No, seriously, uh, I just it's my favorite time of year. I wish we could do Christmas all year long. And I want to invite you to stand. And let's join with the angels in worshiping our Savior here together. Here we go. All right, let's sing, everyone. Hark the Herald. Hark the Herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners let Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the is born in Bethlehem. Oh. 
Christ by highest heaven. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Take in time before Him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Filled in flesh the Godhead seed. This man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Oh, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. All right, just you and the drums now. Hail the of peace, hail the Son of righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing is His. He lays His glory by, more than men, no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth. Mark the herald. Mark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Mark the herald, angels sing. get us in the Christmas spirit, right? Right from John 3.16. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find His mercy. Come to the table He will satisfy. Taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for. Because He loves, sing it out, for God so loved the world that He gave us. Bring them all. Bring all your failures. Bring your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. Oh, yes, He is. For God so loved the world that He gave us. 
Carol, I think of birthdays. Uh, our older daughter, Lauren, just turned 23 on Friday. And birthdays are special, right? Birthdays are special. And uh, um, whenever her birthday rolls around on December 10th or when Katie's rolls around on um, April 8th, I remember <laughs> I know my kid's birthday. My goodness. So when those days roll around, lots and lots of memories come to the surface. And one of the most powerful memories, of course, and if you're a parent, you can probably relate, is the day they were born, right? Very, very memorable day. And in this next uh, carol we're going to do, we have an opportunity to remember, okay? It's a carol that I think sort of helps to paint a picture uh, to help us see Mary holding Jesus, on the day he was born, to help us imagine what it sounded like to hear the angels singing over him, to join in creation, and heaven and nature sing. That's one of the lyrics from the, from the carol. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And because of that, you and I have life. You and I have hope. You and I have joy peace 
And so let's just celebrate that right now. He has come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs implore. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding Hear the joyful sounds of our offering As your saints bow down, as your people sing We will rise with you, lifted on your wings And the world will see that our God, our God saves Our God
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you rule the world with truth and grace. Joy to the world. Jesus has come. We worship you for that. We praise you for that. We are so grateful for that. And we all pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat, everyone. Well, good morning, church. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Uh, Nathan, good to see you home from college. (laughs) And uh, Facebook and YouTube, we're glad that you're joining us this morning as well. Well, and, and Dan, it's so awesome to have the drums, so thank you, brother, for playing drums. Sounds so good. Um, so this morning, we're here for one reason, really. We're here to worship our Savior. And the gift of being together is just that. It's a gift. We're here to worship, but then God gives us this gift of connection and being together as a body to worship him. And connection is so important. It's important to our church. So as we, you know, look at what we're about, about worship and grow and serve and reach, um, there's multiple ways that we can connect. And we can do that by joining a group, and we can do that by serving. So there's, um, there's a few groups still meeting right now, and there's lots of ways to serve here at Solana Valley Church. So I encourage you to go on the app and check it out. Uh, we have a Solana Valley Church app. Most of you have it on your phones, but if you don't, you can get it on the App Store or on Google Play. Download that. Check out ways to serve. Check out groups that are going on and come and connect. So Christmas Eve service. We're exciting to be hosting an in-person Christmas Eve service, which is less than two weeks away. It's another great opportunity to connect. It's a great opportunity to bring family and friends. Um, There's a lot of people that maybe won't come to church during the year, but when we talk about come together and let's hear hear, uh, Christmas stories and sing some carols, and they'll do that. So invite your friends, invite your family. And we'll, we'll be meeting at 6 o'clock here, at 6 o'clock, right, 6 o'clock, Christmas Eve, um, to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Uh, food drive. And so when we talk about serve, there's multiple ways that we've been serving right now. And first of all, I just want to thank those of you who have been participating in our coat drive and in our food drive. Gary has shared some stories about children receiving these coats that have been brought. And what an awesome way to bless the children in our community. There's something about these kids that um, getting a new coat can be huge and something that they remember the rest of their lives. So we've been taking coats to the Leaven. The Leaven serves kids in our, neighbor, in our community um, after school and does some um, tutoring with them. But we as a church got to go in and bless these kids this year. So thank you for those of you donated. Today is the last day uh, for the coat drive. Um, in addition, we've been bringing canned foods in, non-perishable foods for the Contra Costa um, Food Bank. Thank you for those who've been participating. We're still going to continue to do that through the end of this year, a couple more weeks. Um, so bring in your food. There's barrels in the back. And again, thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for giving. And speaking of giving, um, we w- I want to remind you about our offering where we bring our tithe. Scripture talks about tithe being 10% of what God's given to us. And 
It is such a privilege, and it is so awesome when we trust God with our finances. You see, everything that we have has been given us, given to us by God. Um, our, our homes, the income, our accounts, all of that. But he's also given us the skills or the abilities to do what we do to make that income. So everything that we have is from God. And this is our opportunity to give back to God as he is so generously given to us. So there are a couple of ways that you can do that. First of all, you can go to um, www.salonavalley.org forward slash giving and give that way. You can tap give on that SVC phone app. You can send a check to 13.07, why can't I say that, Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. You can text the word give, G-I-V, to 707-883-3019. And finally, if you're here in person, there's the mailbox in the back, a little slot where you can drop in a check if that's the way you choose to give. But I just want to thank you, and especially during this season where our hearts are full, we're focused on Jesus, we're focused on family and friends, and there's just something about being able to give back. So thank you for being a generous church. sir. Appreciate that. I got too much stuff. I, wait a second. I, I've got to go get some more books here. I'll be right back in a few minutes. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, hey, real quick, um, you know, uh, usually when I say real quick, it means I'm not sure what I'm saying next and I'm stalling to figure out what it is. Uh, what, what, what Christmas is about, really, the message of the gospel, what the gospel is about, is that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not by human means, but by the Holy Spirit. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. That Jesus, uh, he lived, uh, he lived a completely sinless life. Not a mostly sinless life. He never sinned in any way by omission. He never failed in any way to love the people perfectly around him. He never sinned by omission. He never sinned uh, by commission, anything that he did against another person, against another person. Uh, that uh, he lived this perfectly sinless life. He was, uh, he was uh, betrayed uh, by one of his disciples. He was deserted by the rest of his friends. He was, um, he was denied by probably his closest human friend on earth. Uh, he suffered immensely. Uh, at the cruelty of the Romans and of, of others. And then he was nailed to a cross and he died. But he rose again. He rose again. And because of that, he has defeated the power of sin and death. He's defeated the power of sin and death. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be continuing our study uh, on 
uh, Christmas stories, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to that real quick. Uh, you know, when you read through the scriptures, uh, I've never had an angelic visitation. What I mean by that is I have never had an angel, meaning a heavenly being. I've never had an angel who's ever appeared to me personally. And when you read through the Bible, it's very interesting, is you see these occasional visitations. And that's what they were. They were occasional. It doesn't happen a lot. You'll see it happen a few places here and there in Genesis. You'll see it happen in a few other places uh, in Judges, in Joshua. You'll see it happen uh, in a few other places like in uh, when you get into the prophets and stuff. But it doesn't, it's not like an everyday occurrence that happens for everybody. It's usually kind of unique person that it happens with. And it doesn't happen real often. But it's very interesting is when you get to the Gospels and you get to the birth of Jesus. And, and, and real quick, let me pause before I talk about the birth of Jesus. Uh, no, let me just go on. Okay, so when you get to the birth of Jesus, all of a sudden you have a whole lot of angelic visitations. It's not like you just have a few. You have a whole bunch. Okay, why is that true? Why is that true? It's also interesting, as you read through the Gospels, you know, you'll see demonic activity off and on throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, and you get into the New Testament, and you get into the Gospels, and you get to the life of Jesus, and you see a lot more demonic activity than you do in other parts of Scripture. Why why is that true? And I I think what it is, is it's kind of like, I don't know, anybody here, uh, anybody here a history buff? Anybody? Okay, a couple of us. All right. Any of you read very much about World War II, World War II history and stuff? Okay, so a few of us. All right. And and what you know is this: is that 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 in in anybody who's been in combat understands this: is that you, you will go through long periods of time where you may see no combat whatsoever, but then you run into combat and it's very fierce and it's very thick. And when you read through through history, you'll read about these key battles that were absolutely huge in the outcome of the war. And I believe that's what we see in the Gospels. I think it's this intense moment where um, it's this intense moment of increased uh, spiritual uh, combat. Okay? Increased combat. And so we see that, uh, but we see a lot more angelic uh, activity when we read through Matthew chapters 1 and 2, Luke chapters 1 and 2. And, and so real quick, let me, let me, uh, I want to kind of raise this question. So what does that mean like right now when perhaps we're not seeing a lot of angelic? Uh, can someone get that door, please? That may not be annoying to anybody else, but this is a distraction to me. Uh, you know, for me, for me, uh, you, you, I, you know, we raise this question or I raise the question. Why do we not see more angelic activity today? And, and this is kind of my thinking. Is first of all, is should we assume then that angels or demonic activity isn't happening? And I honestly believe if our eyes were opened to the spiritual realm, I think we would be overwhelmed both by angelic activity but also demonic activity. In fact, I think we might even find it quite terrifying. There is a very real a uh, spiritual world that's just as real as the physical world. And everything that we see happening in the physical world, in some measure, is measuring or is, is mirroring what's happening in the spiritual world. 
that this is why when you get to the end of, of the book of Ephesians, it talks about us putting on the full armor of God. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle against the spiritual forces uh, of wickedness in the heavenly realms. You can read this. It's in your Bible. It's Ephesians 6. It is our experience in our world today. So even though we may not see what's happening, okay, uh, let me use, uh, let me use a, a metaphor. In, in the medical world, okay, because Rich and I have both been the medical school, uh, just kidding. Uh, but in, in the medical world, in the medical world, not, Rich can correct me if I'm wrong, but just don't do it right now. Don't make me look stupid. I, I do that, okay? So uh, in, in the medical world, sometimes a person can look perfectly healthy. You do a few tests, and all of a sudden you find out something's really, really wrong, okay? And some of us have had that experience personally. Uh, some of us have had that experience with a loved one. Is that some, on the outside, everything looks good, and then all of a sudden, on the inside, things aren't so good. And I believe that right now, what we see in this physical realm is somewhat limited. There is a spiritual realm that's just as real where all this activity is happening. And I do believe there could be a time in the future, uh, and I believe that we can see this somewhat in the book of Revelation, uh, and some other texts of uh, Scripture seem to indicate this, we could see an increase of angelic and demonic activity as we get closer to the return of Jesus. Okay, that is a completely going, like, not where we're going this morning. Uh, but I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this angelic visitation that Mary has. And uh, in, in, in what this text of Scripture, this message today may not be for anybody here except for me. But I need, I need this text of Scripture, and I need this message so much today. Um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to it. Uh, if you have uh, a Bible on your phone, a smartphone, open up to it. Uh, we're reading from the NIV text today. But Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, I'm going to read through to verse 38. And by the way, by the way, this is the Word of God. This is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. Okay? Everything I'm going to say about this afterwards, you can argue with me about. But this is God's Word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, uh, how, will this, uh, how will this be, Mary asked. And the angel said, uh, excuse me, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old, old age. And she who is said to be in her sixth, or, excuse me, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Three things I want to share with you from this text today. Um, you know, real quick, just kind of thinking about the context, just to kind of remind you. Uh, Mary, at this point in time, is probably a young gal, teenager. She may have been 16, 17 years old. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for young women to marry at that age. Uh, and, and so she's probably just a teenage gal. She's probably just a teenage gal. And she's not that different from probably a lot of teenage girls living today. Okay? She's just a, a common girl from a very common place. And she's from Nazareth. And, 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 and this is, I, I think we need to kind of remind ourselves, because I think sometimes what we do is we put a halo over everybody's head when we read these stories. And that's not really what was going on. And that's not really what was happening. She was a young gal. Christelle, she could have been, been in your, Michelle, she could have been in one of your classes over at teaching in high school. Could have been in one of your classes. She could be your next door neighbor. Okay? Uh, she was just a young gal. I believe a believer in God. I believe a very de- devout believer in God. And I'll show you why I believe that as we work through the text. I think she was a very devout believer. I, I think she was... <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just make a point of contrast here in a few minutes, okay? I'll make a contrast that will explain to you why I believe she was as devout as she was. But I want you to see three things in this text today. And the first thing I want you to see is this, is that God does the impossible through the ordinary. Okay? That God does the impossible through the ordinary. Now, first, let's talk about the ordinary. God chooses an ordinary small-town girl to give birth to the Savior of the world. By the way, there's the ordinary. There's the impossible. God chooses a very ordinary small-town girl from Nazareth. Do you understand what it means to be from Nazareth? When I was a kid, uh, I, I grew up in Little Rock, okay? And I went to middle school in Sweet Home, all right? Sweet Home, well, you can only imagine, or maybe you can't. Uh, let me just put it this way. There were no palaces in Sweet Home, okay? There were no uh, five-bedroom homes. There were no, let me just put it this way. You did not want to be in Sweet Home when the sun went down. You just really did not want to be there. It was not a good place. Nazareth was kind of like that. Okay, It's kind of like Possum Waller, Arkansas. Uh, it's just a place where nobody really comes from there. It's just no one. Um, God chooses this ordinary small-town girl to give ba- birth to the Savior of the world. There's the ordinary. There's the impossible. Mary wasn't from Jerusalem. She wasn't from Rome. She was from Nazareth. 
when God chose a young woman to give birth to the Savior of the world, when God chose a young woman to give birth to the Savior of the world, he did not choose a Disney princess. That's not what he chose. That's the way we might write it. I don't know if it's a Hallmark movie or a Disney movie. A princess in a palace. That's not, that's not Mary. He didn't choose the beautiful daughter of a very rich and powerful man. That's not who God chose. He didn't choose the socialite from, I don't know, Beverly Hills or Manhattan or wherever, okay? He chose a very ordinary girl from a very small town that was despised by many. Even Nathaniel said of Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was a despised place. She was an ordinary girl in many respects, but also a very extraordinary girl. And we'll see more of that in a moment. You know, uh, God did, in, when God wanted to bring the Savior of the world into the world, God did what he loves to do so often. When I read through the Bible, it's interesting to me how much God does through ordinary people. It, I mean, it just when I read through the Bible, and, and I'm not going to go through and try to give you an exhaustive list, but, but think about this. When God wanted a champion to defeat a giant and lead Israel in victory over the Philistines, did he pick a big, powerful warrior who was head and shoulders all, all over everybody else around him? No, that, that, that was David's brother, but that wasn't David. When God wanted to raise up a champion to defeat a giant and lead Israel in victory uh, over the Philistines, he wanted to be very clear that God was at work. And so he chooses a very simple, despised in his own family, shepherd boy, David, and uses him with just a few stones and a sling to bring down this giant of a man, take the giant sword, cut off his head, lead the, na- the armies of Israel to defeat the Philistines, and then he gives the sword and the head to King Saul. That's what God does. That's what God does. God loves to use the ordinary. When God wanted to bring the gospel to the entire world, he didn't bring a lot of guys. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't go to Dallas Seminary and pick out the very, very best students uh, to be uh, his disciples. He picked guys like Matthew, who was a tax collector. He picked guys like uh, fishermen, like Peter and Andrew, James and John. He picked guys who were like super ordinary from super ordinary backgrounds. And he entrusted them with the most powerful message in the world. God loves to do the extraordinary through the ordinary. God loves to use people like you and me. Now, can I get all of that from this story? From this story here about Mary? Let me, let me, let me, let me, I'm going to tease that out here in a moment. Okay? I'm going to tease that out. But before I do that, I want you to kind of casually look at the people around you. Okay? Casually. Eric, don't give them the evil eye. I want you to casually look at the people around you. Okay? Um, 
How many Heisman Trophy winners do we have here? Any? Okay. Okay, yeah, I didn't think there were. Uh, you know, I don't, when I look around, I don't see anybody here who's won an Academy Award. I don't see anyone who's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I'm pretty sure, Dan, you're going to make it there one day. Uh, I don't see any, uh, anyone who's ever won an Emmy or a Grammy. I don't see any billionaires in this group. Uh, I, don't see, uh, I don't see a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I don't see any emperors, kings, governors. I, I don't see – what I see is I see a lot of people – who are who are extraordinarily ordinary. That maybe from a worldly standpoint, we don't necessarily, you, you know, we're, we're, our face is never going to grace the cover of People magazine, okay? Uh, you know, it's so funny. I typed celebrity, celebrity into the Google search bar, and the first thing that comes up was, was, uh, was celebrity news. But just down from that, it said, uh, it said, birthdays of celebrity children in December. And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> you know, we're all fascinated with celebrity, but I think God loves the ordinary. And I think God likes to do extraordinary things to ordinary people. I believe that. I do. I, I, you know what? There's not a single person in this room who's unnecessary. There's not a single person in this room that God doesn't want to do some very special things in your life. And that God wants to do some really special things to you. And the thing is, is that some of you, you hear me say that, and you'll say, oh yeah, that's true. But you don't live like that's true. You'll agree that that's true, but you won't live like it. I believe that there's not a single person in this room that God doesn't want to do something very, very special in your life, and God wants to do something very, very special through your life. By the way, when you give a coat that keeps a child warm, you are that child's miracle. I think God loves to do extraordinary things to ordinary people. You know, God loves to use shepherd boys, servant girls, old women, old men, the unimportant, the common, the poor, the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, to nullify everything that the world considers to be important. Now, I read that because I want to make sure I got it right. Now, how can I say all of that? When Paul was writing to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, this is the word of God. This is not my opinion. This is the word of God. The Bible says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, when you became Christians. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not a lot of Harvard grads here. Nobody has a Ph.D. from Oxford here that I'm aware of. Not, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Our faces aren't on the cover of People magazine. Not many were of noble birth, although, although, although I am related to French aristocracy. Okay? 23andMe told me that. All right? Uh, not many, not, it doesn't say not any, it just says not many. Okay? Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God loves to use common, ordinary people like you, like me. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. You know what? I don't believe God's given up on me. I don't believe that. I think there are a few people who've given up on me, but I absolutely believe God has not given up on me. By the way, I don't believe God's given up on anyone in this room. I don't believe that at all. I simply do not believe it. This is what I believe. That God loves to do the impossible through ordinary people. Second thing I want to share with you from this text that I think is really important is this. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. I'm sorry, what's too difficult for the Lord? Oh, wait a second, once again. Let me ask again. What's too difficult for the Lord? Is there anything in your life that's difficult for you? Yeah, yeah, there is for me too, all right? A few things. A few things that are difficult for me. But is there anything that's too difficult for the Lord? You know, sometimes we can tell ourselves, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. What's so hard? Well, I don't know. Whatever your it is, it's so hard. It's so hard. You know what? I I really think sometimes we need to say, you know, it, it feels really hard for me. But nothing is too difficult for the Lord. I think it's okay to say, you know, this feels really hard for me. By the way, if you have a friend of yours who's saying this feels really hard for me, it's not up to you to say to him or her, nothing is too difficult for the Lord, okay? It's your place to be their friend and say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Can I pray for you? And pray, not, not go away and pray. Pray for them right then, right there. But listen to them, affirm what feels hard for them. Love them, accept them, and pray for them. Don't fix them. Just love them, accept them, pray for them. But for yourself, I do think it's really important, whatever it is that's hard for you right now, what is, what's hard for you right now? Don't tell me. Okay, that's a rhetorical question. But it's, I, right now, I want you to answer for yourself, not for me, not for anybody around you. What's, what feels hard for you? What feels really hard for you? And I want you to not tell me and not tell anybody else around you, but just tell God, God, this feels really, really hard for me. But nothing is too difficult for you. Why do I say nothing is too difficult for the Lord? Well, the Bible says it. Uh, What Mary does in in verses 35 through 37, I'll just kind of walk you through this. In in 35, uh, Mary, she asks this question. She says, uh, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, he's just said, hey, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. By the way, he's going to be the son of the Most High. By the way, he's going to rule over, he's going to rule on the throne of David over the, the people of Jacob forever. By the way, there will be no end to his kingdom. You know what that means? It's never going to end. He's going to reign forever. That's her baby. Remember, she's like a 16-year-old schoolgirl. Well, in our world, she'd probably be in school. Uh, a 16-year-old teenage girl who has maybe a lot of the same dreams that any other girl would have, 
who has maybe some of the same fears, maybe some of the same insecurities. She was a young woman. And, and yet God, uh, speaking to her through an angel, is telling her, you're going to have this spectacular baby. He's going to be awesome. Now, I know every parent thinks their kid's going to be awesome. But Jesus was more awesome, okay? Just telling you. I know y'all have awesome kids. I do. You do. You know, Jet's old. They're awesome. Okay? Ryo, he's awesome. You know, you guys have awesome kids. You do. The Podovinsky boys. Can't wait to have them over today. Okay? Um, I'm going to give them some gifts that will torment you. Okay? Uh, the, the, you know, our kids are awesome. But let me tell you, Mary's, Mary's boy was especially awesome in a way that no other baby is. And so Mary asked this question, well, how will this be? And this is not a question of doubt. This is a question of how. When she questions Gabriel, it's very different from the way Zechariah questioned Gabriel in, in the, the text we looked at last week. And I'm not going to get into all that. But her question is not a question of doubt. Zechariah's question was a question of doubt. Her simple question is how. How would this be since I'm a virgin? Wow, man, this is crazy. You know? It's just kind of a normal question. How? And Gabriel says, uh, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, remember Elizabeth from last week? If you don't, go back and listen to last week's message. Even Elizabeth, your relative, the one who has said that she couldn't have a child, the one who was advanced in years, polite way of saying she's real old, Okay, maybe not real old, but past normal uh, childbearing years. Even your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then he says this to her. He says this, For no word of God will ever fail. Now that's the NIV translation. New Living Translation translates it very, very similar. No word of God will ever fail. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. Uh, the ESV translates it a little bit different. Uh, the New American Standard, several other versions of the Bible, translated it a little bit differently as, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, in English, we're like, wait a second. Which one is it? Is it the first one or is it the second one? Okay. And I am not a Greek scholar, but I made very, very good grades in Greek when I was in seminary, enough that I know how to use Greek tools, okay? So I went back, I looked at a Greek-English interlinear, and I looked at it. And a lot of it depends upon how you translate two words. Uh, one of those words is, uh, is pas or pan. The other word is rhema, okay? And so what it can mean is it can mean everything, and it can mean every word. If you understand it as every word, then what it means, no word of God will ever fail. Is that true? Absolutely. But if you translate it as everything, you know, pun, uh, rhema, uh, then you're going to translate it as everything. And you're going to translate it for nothing will be impossible with God. So which one is right? Yes. Okay. The, both of those things are very, very true. I tend to lean toward the ESV, the New American Standard Bible, on this translation. Uh, but I still respect the NIV. I think the translation team, wonderful team, great guys. 
just on this, I, I think the SV gets it right. Whatever our favorite translation may be, we need to see that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. What's too difficult for the Lord? Nothing. And that's something you need to remind yourself of every day. See my rubber band? Actually, I got a small rubber band that could fit around my wrist. And it was like cutting off the flow of blood through my hand. I thought, I can't put this on my hand. I found this rubber band. It's actually, look at it. Man, that thing, you could wrap that around your neck. All right? You know? I could. I could, but I'm not. All right? So, uh, you, know, you know what I just thought could be a good exercise for me this week? Huh? Oh. Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. I thought for me this could be a good exercise. Just a reminder. When something feels hard, to say, you know what, God, this feels hard for me. But nothing is too difficult for you. I think, I told you this morning, I felt like if this sermon was not for anybody else, I felt like I needed this today for me. Because I need to remind myself every time something feels hard that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Um, In the scriptures, it's really interesting. This is part of why the ESV uh, translates this verse in Luke, the way it does, is because in Genesis three eight, uh, in Genesis eighteen, we see a very similar Hebrew uh, statement. Hebrew, not Greek, uh, but it, it makes a very similar. It, it says something very very similar. It, it, it's a woman in an impossible situation. It's a woman in an impossible situation. She has been unable to conceive. She's been what the Bible says barren. That's what they called it, barren, barren. How would you like to wear that title, barren? You know, it was just considered a woman who wasn't able to have children was considered to be cursed, barren. Uh, This woman was not just, quote, unquote, barren, but she was way beyond childbearing years, way beyond. And then God tells her husband, Abraham, this time next year, your wife, Sarah, will have a child. And what the scripture tells us is that Sarah overhears this exchange between God and Abraham. And you know what the Bible tells us, she said? It says that she laughed. By the way, when she has a son, you know what she names her son? Laughter. That's what the name Isaac means. Laughter. She laughed. And God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. (laughs) It's like when you catch your kid with his head in the cookie jar. My hand's not in the cookie jar. I didn't laugh. And God says this. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? In Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was speaking about Israel's future restoration... They were going to go into exile for 70 years. Imagine that this country goes into exile into China for 70 years. That'll stir some people up. Imagine we go into exile for 70 years and we come back together again as a nation in 70 years. When has that ever happened for a nation? It's happened for Israel, not one time, but twice. Actually, they went into Egypt for 400 years. God brought them out as a nation greater than when they went into Egypt. And then they went into exile 
in, into Babylon. In the middle of that time, Jeremiah, and God is tell, revealing to Jeremiah what God's going to do. Excuse me, God is revealing, yeah, God is revealing to Jeremiah what God is going to do. And he, in, in, in Jeremiah says this, he says, it's you, God, it's you. It's you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Our God is awesome. He is great. He is powerful. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing. Nothing. That's a zero with the edges rubbed off. Nothing is too hard for you. Does that kind of sound a little bit like what we're reading in Luke? Well, in in Matthew... And Matthew, the disciples are talking with Jesus and they're questioning how, how, uh, who could possibly be saved? They're raising this question because it's the things that Jesus says. Who possibly could be saved? And this is how Jesus answers them. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, for some of you, some of you, you're thinking about someone that you have prayed for Maybe for years, maybe for decades to be saved. And it feels impossible. We just saw God do the impossible, didn't we? Yeah. God can do that. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. So I ask you, what feels impossible to you? Maybe, maybe it would be inviting a friend who's not a believer into your home. And just showing them the kindness of Jesus. Not being preachy, just showing them the kindness of Jesus. Maybe it's inviting that friend to church. Maybe it's sharing with that friend your story of how God has saved you. Does that feel impossible for you? Nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Maybe, maybe the thought of spiritual renewal in your life, that feels impossible for you. Well, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Maybe, maybe the idea that God could bring something like revival in this church. Are other churches like our church in this community? Does that feel impossible for you? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Maybe, maybe the idea of something like spiritual awakening in this community and across this nation, does that feel difficult to you? Impossible? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. I refuse to give up. Not because of anything in me, but because of what I see the Bible say. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And as Jeremiah wrote, talking about the the restoration of an ungodly nation, nothing is too hard for you. Third thing I want you to see here, and I'll wind this down real quick. God wants you, God wants me, to be His ready servant, prepared to do His will. God wants you, God wants me to be His ready servant, prepared to do His will. Where do we see this in the text? Mary responds, you know, Gabriel tells Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she's not married. She's never been with a man. She's not married. Do you understand in the ancient world what kind of disgrace that would be for her? Do you know, I I don't know what the numbers are, but if a woman is single 
and has children. She, I don't remember what the numbers are, but it's like she's way more likely to live below the poverty line. She is way more vulnerable in many, many ways. And her children are too. In the ancient world, it was even worse. Much worse. You know, she at this point in time, she doesn't know if Joseph is still going to marry her or not. She doesn't know. In fact, we're going to see next week that Joseph actually thought about putting her away, divorcing her. Because when you were betrothed or engaged, it was like you were legally married. It took an actual divorce to separate at that point in time. She didn't know what was going to happen. Joseph actually considered it. And this is what she does. She just simply says to Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. By the way, this is why the NIV translates the previous verse as, uh, as for no word from God will ever fail. May your word to me be fulfilled. You see, that's not just what God wanted in Mary in that moment. By the way, when we say, may your word to me be fulfilled, a lot of times we're saying, I'm going to embrace the hard. I'm going to embrace the difficult. I'm going to embrace great sacrifice and suffering to follow Jesus. Now, this is something that isn't preached a lot in our world today. And I honestly believe it's, it's a departure from the New Testament, what the New Testament teaches. That if we follow Jesus, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He's not, this is not a casual stroll. This is a life of sacrifice, of following Jesus. And she, she's like, bring it on. Bring it on. Now, I've got to tell you something to me that feels really funny. Can I do this? I mean, you may not think it's funny. I think it's funny. I love this. I, I really love this. How many of you think Moses is a great guy? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I do too. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, I, I, I haven't wrote any books ever, anywhere, any kind, much less something that's in the Bible. Moses did that. I love it. I love the conversation between God and Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And, and God is saying to Moses, at this point in time, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years in a desert. And God comes to Moses and he says, I have heard the cries of my people Israel in their bondage in Egypt. And I am going to deliver them. And guess what, Moses? You get to be the human instrument that leads them out of Egypt. You get to be the one that goes to Pharaoh and, and says, let my people go. And you know what the Bible tells us that, that Moses said when God said this to him? He said, oh, goody. Oh, goody. The, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to, to me according to your word. Is that what Moses says? No, 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 no. No, I, I love it because what he does is he takes about two chapters to make a whole lot of excuses. He talks about every possible point that this plan could fail. Every possible point that this plan could fail. What if they don't listen to me? You know, he talks about every possible point that the plan could fail. This is to me a little bit amusing when you're talking with God about where his plans could fail. He's saying this over and over again. And finally, 
he just he, he, he just can't wear God out. He can't get God to this point where God will say, you're right, you're right. It's going to be too difficult. Let's not do this, you know. And, and so finally what, what Moses says to God is this in, in um, Exodus chapter 4. I can't remember what verse it is, but he says this. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. That's what he said. That's in the Bible. Please send someone else. And, and part of the reason why this is so amusing to you and why it's amusing to me for those of us who are amused is because every one of us have been like Moses at some point. Please, God, send someone else to work in the children's ministry. Please, God, send someone else to reach my friend. Please, God, send someone else to do this or that. You know, or, 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 or you'll do it this way. Gary, somebody needs to. And you'll tell me what somebody needs to do. Instead of saying, I am the Lord's servant, I will do it. You know, um, okay, so this is me. This is me. This is me. This is me 31 years ago. Half my life ago. 31 years ago. I was a poor graduate student living in a house trailer. And uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas, going to uh, Dallas Seminary. And I remember I was praying and asking God, God, how do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? How do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? And God, it, was, it couldn't have been any more clear if God had ripped the roof off my house. Oh, house trailer. Which, by the way, you would just think it was a tornado because that's what happens, you know. <laughs> you know. Somebody's going to lose a house trailer, all right? So it's like, uh, you know, it was like I felt like God said to me, he just said, I want you to plant a church that makes disciples. I want you to make disciples that plant churches, and I want you to plant churches to reach our world. By the way, I want you to do it in a place where there's not a church. I don't want you to go to another community where there are dozens and dozens of churches. By the way, there are a lot of churches in our community At the time that we launched Solana Valley Church, we were the only church on the side of the freeway. Um, You know, and this was my first response to God. I'd been praying, God, how do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? And this was my response to God when he, I, I felt like he was saying to me, I want you to plant a church that makes disciples, make disciples that plant churches, plant churches to reach our world. And this was my response, literally. God... I don't want to do that. At least with Moses, he said, send someone else. I just simply said, God, I don't want to do that. So how do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? I literally prayed that to God. I don't want to do that. So how do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? I want you to be a billionaire, Gary. I want you to win the lottery. You know, take it easy. You know, no, 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 no. And I just felt like God said again, I want you to plant a church and make disciples, make disciples of plant churches, plant churches to reach our world. Now, I'm going to tell you, I didn't want to do it for a lot of reasons. I didn't want to have to try to raise finances in order to make that possible because I was going to be moving to a community where there was no church. By the way, when there is no church, there's no paycheck. Did you know that? There's no paycheck. It's not the kind of, let me, let me ask you. How many of you would have been thrilled to do your job that you've done all your life and never receive a penny for it? Now, some of you might say, yeah, I'd love to do that. 
Me, not me. I, I, I wanted a paycheck. I wanted to actually be able to eat, you know, wear some clothes, you know, buy a car, whatever. I wanted that. And I, I didn't want to go through that. The other thing I didn't want to go through is I didn't want to go through rejection. I didn't want to experience the rejection that comes with ministry like that. I just didn't want to feel that pain. And I finally kept asking God, what do you want me to do? And I finally said, you know, it's time to stop asking. It's time to start doing um, and, you know, it's, um, I need to get this off of me, and I need to get back to God's Word, and I need you to take this and adapt this to your heart and your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. You know what that means? To offer your bodies. Here, the way Paul is using the term is he's using the body as a reference to, it's kind of like when a, a young man says to an older man, may I have your daughter's hand in marriage? The hand of the daughter, it's not like he wants to marry the hand. The hand represents the whole daughter. And what he's saying here, when he's talking about bodies, this is representative of all that I am, all that I have. And Paul says this, and, and the scriptures say, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, meaning everything that you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is exactly what Mary does. I am the Lord's bondservant. May it be done to me according to your word. Man, I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come back up. Um, what I want you to see this morning is that God does the impossible through the ordinary. Have you seen that today? God does the impossible through the ordinary. Secondly, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Have you heard that today? Yes, God, this feels hard for me, but nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And finally, God wants you to be his ready servant prepared to do his will. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. There is nothing that you can't do. Lord, I am so grateful that you love working through common people like me, that we don't have to be like marvelously gifted or, I don't know, super brilliantly smart or anything like that. All we have to do is just be submitted and surrendered to you. Thank you, God, that you work through people like us, like this church. Thank you, God, for the ministry you have given us in this community. Lord, we do pray for spiritual renewal in our lives. We do pray for revival in this church and other churches in our community and across this country. And, Lord, we do pray for revival. For us, God, this feels impossible. But with you, nothing is too difficult for you. And so we ask you to do what only you can do. We, we pray that we will be your ready servants, prepared to do your will, whatever that looks like. And we pray this in the, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church.
sing glory to the one. Nothing is impossible for. Here we go. The herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. On earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the sky. so much for being here today, everyone. We'll see you next time.